everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange. We run courses and mentorship to help clinicians apply a person-centered approach to clinical practice. So if interested, reach out at tkex.org and feel free to join our Facebook discussion group for more. Today, it is my pleasure to be joined again by Kit Wisdom and Shelley Barlow. For listeners tuning in for the first time, I highly recommend checking out our first podcast with Shelley and Kit. We discussed a relational approach to, to clinical practice, diving into the intersubjective space, ideas such as presence, contact, uh, embodiment, vulnerability, and um, it was an insight into creating a space that is often not made with clinical interactions and bring some of the, in my words, the humanity back into practice. So that cannot be summarized at all in the minute that just passed. So I highly recommend checking that episode out. And we'll be expanding today on some of the reflections from that episode and then looking at some of the other dimensions around a clinician-client relationship and some of the things, the themes that might get in the way. So first of all, Shelley and Kit, very much appreciate you joining me again for a, a triad today. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. It's lovely to be back. Hmm. It's a pleasure to be back, have a chat. Um, so my um, sense of, of where to kind of start today for me is around just um, giving a little bit of a background to an orientation of the clinical encounter away from the individualistic model to a shared model. So um, I think there's been a history in clinical practice where there's a sort of a differentiation between the clinician and the client. And that they're two separate individuals meeting and, and very much within their own bubble. I think for me, my sense of intersubjectivity is actually a um, movement into seeing the clinical encounter as two people sharing the same experience from diff slightly different subjectivities or lenses, but bringing into the clinical encounter their own, um, the whole of their life world with them. And so it, what is created between the two is new, something new every time. And my curiosity is what um, enables that to happen and what gets in the way of that happening. So the intersubjectivity is the shared subjectivity from um, the possibility of something new being created from that encounter, which will not be able to be reproduced in any other encounter. It's just um, there for the moment. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm coming from right now. How does that land for you, Kit? Um, well, look, I love it. I love those words. Um, so I suppose for me, I notice a couple of different things. I notice like a, 
a thought pattern? Like how's that going to sit with, with the wider, you know, audience? Um, I noticed a bit of nervousness around that. Um, and then I kind of noticed this part of me that it just makes a lot of sense. Um, and then I suppose that part of me that wonders why it's kind of not in our education or in our undergrad or so, you know, that piece of me that really then wants to understand like why it's missing. Um, so I suppose for me, it lands in a couple of different ways um, and probably also influenced just then because I had a session where we, you know, really sat in that shared experience and it was a very, um, it was a lovely session, but I've just come from that happening. Um, so I think it's interesting just to, come into a conversation about it after it happening whilst also being, you know, some, some an anticipation around, again, how that might be received or um, met or disputed uh, or tried to be explained. Uh, yeah, that's what's there right now. Yeah. And as I hear you, you speak, what comes up for me is what is it about the missing part of how clinicians show up in the encounter and we ask patients or clients to show up mm. and yet how do we show up? How do we show up in a space that allows room for both ourselves and the other, and also for this third dimension, which is the in-between or the intersubjective or this new possibility that is, you know, comes together, coalesces in the in the in the um, encounter. And I, I sit with my sadness around the missing. Mm. And I think as an undergraduate, it was something I yearned for to get some sense of that. Mm. And I remember how in my early clinical encounters that I would try and meet the other, which is another sort of um, languaging that, that isn't, isn't kind of the lexicon of undergraduate physio. I'm not sure if it's the lexicon of undergraduate <laughs> Daniel is shaking his head. <laughs> Daniel is shaking his head. Vehemently. Yeah, this idea that we meet ourselves at the, and at the same time we meet the otherness of the person in front of us. And in um, psychotherapy worlds, that's quite a well-known and quite a well-developed um, concept and also a part of their experiential and embodied learning, which is what you were talking about, Daniel, that embodiment of, of the felt sense of meeting somebody where they're at. And yet my sense is that we actually meet somebody where we think they should be or where they think they should be going or where they, what we think is wrong with them or with a preformed idea of, of what we're going to do rather than sitting in that space of allowing the other to show up as they would show up without any preconceived or um, setting up of the of the dyad or the clinical encounter. 
Well, and I think what comes up for me is you going back to your remembering, mine going back to mine and the, the, the excruciating sense of like if you were to ask university-based me now to show up as me, that would be excruciating and painful and uh, I don't know that I'd know how and I'd probably want to run away very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and as I hear you say that, Kit, I have a version of that myself that sense of, I don't know what this is. I don't mm. know what this unformedness is of this. And being asked asked of something that I really don't have a sense of or I haven't had seen or modelled in front of me. Mm. Um, and I also know that part of me knows that there's a gap there that needs to be filled and I'm not quite sure what I would need to fill it. Hmm. Yeah, or maybe like who would be there or or who wouldn't be there. Like is it also a sense of maybe, if I'm just thinking into my experience, like a sense of being quite alone, so excruciating alone, a gap, and then maybe not even knowing what creates safety for that or or what would be a a way to share or move into that because it may be like a sense of um, even I'm not sure around the community or the, the people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember when, when there was a huge shift I had between, I think it was about third or fourth year out. And I remember having a person with complex and chronic pain come into the outpatient and it didn't matter what I did didn't make any difference and I remember sitting going doesn't matter what I do it's not making any difference what am I missing here mm. and up until then how I created safety for myself was do another course I need to learn more um, I need to learn more techniques I need, need to learn more content I need to learn more about something and it was in that moment that I went actually I need to learn how to work with this person and even the idea of working with them mm. was a step away from I need to learn how to be with them in the way that I need to be with them to help find our way through this because all my tools in my toolkit were just not helpful at that point and what? sorry you should let me take a breath <laughs> I did you're very good at tracking there, Shelley. I was just going to say, can I share what popped up for me? It's so interesting is I didn't go and do extra courses. I knew that I should do extra courses, but I was inherently afraid of trying to shove more information into my head because I knew that I wasn't really even relating to the stuff I had in there already. So I think I did something different and I kind of um, squirreled away and just wanted to maybe connect more with my patients on a, you know, a human level and, and somehow create, you know, rapport or um, what I'm trying to think what we got toward in uni or, you know, like create a sense of um, um, collaboration or um, 
you know, um, help them feel comfortable or get to know them a little bit or just you do a subjective history, you know. Um, I think that's how I kind of, where I veered off into, because I, I think I had this sense that I wasn't actually going to be able to use any of this stuff from the courses because I didn't really understand how to use it. Yeah. I think the human was there so much. I don't know. That's just what's coming up for me right now. Yeah. And if I, if I feel into that and Daniel break in whenever you want and mm. give us your ideas and thoughts and feelings. Um, if I feel into that, I feel really sad for your and my undergraduate self or new graduate selves because I remember the loneliness and isolation of that and even bringing it into contact with my colleagues. There's no way I would have shown anybody that I didn't know what I was doing or talking mm. about or how to go about something. So this aura of kind of confidence and, you know, this is doable and I'm good with this was a, was a front, was, a, was quite a good mask. And, mm. and when I think about it now to be able to articulate, you know, I'm not sure I'm getting this from a place of the emotional truth of that mm. um, was actually sent me back on my and, and put me into a withdrawal. Like I didn't want to come forward and, and let people know how I was really feeling, which just impacted more on the isolation yeah, and that deep sense of shame and um, kind of, you know, um, imposter syndrome, I think, and that sort of sense of uh, I'm not good enough to be here doing this work. Mm. Yeah, that real sense of everyone else has got it, you know, what, what haven't I got? You know? <laughs> and, and but again, not being able to say that out loud because, you know, you're then, you know, creating a, a place for potentially embarrassment or shame to to be there and that's the excruciation again right so it's a let's keep that hidden let's not bring that out for uh people to see yeah 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 and i feel even talking along these lines right now i have a sense of i almost almost feel it's like is it okay? Is still, is it okay to talk about this? Like, is there space for this? Is this going to land okay? You know, is this going to show up that I am actually have no idea what I'm talking about? Or, you know, is it okay to be less than certain about something? Or, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm grinding my teeth a little bit, which is generally where I, I sit when I'm unsure and a bit, uh, nervous worried <laughs> and resonate with the the worry the uh feeling of judgment my kind of heart is pounding in my chest um i think there's the from my personal experiences when the uncertainty was expressed it wasn't met from colleagues and i think that's the sense of the word betrayal comes to mind or just like disappointment that it wasn't able to be um acknowledged i think it was hidden with just do these exercises or like you should just know this or like an extra tool in the toolbox 
um, to mask that on the surface. And I think in the short term, it can be useful and it probably was initially, but it didn't get to the emotion and the, the human that was like, hey, I need help. And is this, is this normal for me to feel like I have no idea what I'm doing? Um, and that's what resonates with me. And even the, the kind of feelings of anxiety I can notice in clinical practice these days, if I have someone that has a complex history and um, has a, a lot of concerns and I can feel that sense of anxiety overwhelm. Um, and I know that if I had that same anxiety and overwhelm, I would have reacted in a different way back in post um, the new grad kind of years. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have accepted that overwhelm as much. Um, and it wasn't accepted by colleagues. Beautiful. So, Daniel, if I, if I lean into what you've just said, and that was beautifully shared, by the way, thank you for that. That moment where you that overwhelm is not acceptable that sense of i i can't tell anybody about this experience of feeling overwhelmed or feeling out of my depth or feeling um you know i need to hide that 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 where does that sit within the field of exercise physiology? Because this is my interest about how does this sit within the field of physiotherapy? Where does shame, where do we bury shame or where do we bury vulnerability so it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not allowed to show up or it's not a, not, it's like it, we push it away somewhere and put it somewhere. So, and then there's a collective sense that it's not okay to bring it up and if it does come up there's something wrong with the individual who's brought it up rather than oh it's actually just a reflection of what's going on in the field or in in everybody here who's a new grad physio or an undergrad physio or a postgrad physio it's it's and yet we target the individual it's a fascinating question because i i sit here with perhaps a different identity of you know ep um based on the I, I didn't feel a sense of belonging to uh colleagues at at the time i think um mm. there was that very rigid uh response of this is our role and this is mm. the box that we need to fit within um and exercise is amazing like looking at evidence base so just mm use your evidence-based um, practice knowledge skills and just do what you can. But it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, a, I don't know if it was maybe resigning that emotion to the person and just, just, just deal with it kind of um, rather than uh, allowing, uh, rather than you like right now leaning into it, I'd never got that opportunity. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious around the word just. That keeps coming up. Like, just an emotion, just a well, oh, just just deal with it, just do ah, this. Yes. I don't know. My experience of yeah. the word just is, you know, very much my experience. <laughs> but it sort of feels like a real swatting kind of a way. It's got a movement to it, it's quick. So it feels like I don't know, when you speak around like 
when you said where does it live in the field, my whole body is kind of shaking over here in my lower limbs as we speak about it, which is just fascinating. Um, but then, yeah, I'm curious around this um, need to quiet and or push down or swat away or um, I don't know. I'm... Yeah, I can sense that it's um, obviously listeners can't see the Zoom screen, but if I have my screen, it's kind of like I'm pushing it down so that you can only see the, the my face from the yeah, chest up. Your it's, chest. It's, yeah. it's like unseen and it's it's hidden. I think mm. so I, yeah I, I resonate with that movement quality of um being pushed down is, is mm. what I, I yeah. feel um, where shame kind of resides um and it's back to the individual responsibility maybe there's the <laughs> a shame about the shame in a way where you don't want to bring it up because then that might yeah. evoke feelings of shame with other clinicians and you know we don't want other people to feel bad yeah and it's like labeled as, as that I think that's what um, well, I wonder, would it be okay if I introduced a bit of a framework that I use a little bit in this space? Is that okay, Shelley? Absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, well, it came from, um, it comes from, from um, more of a psychotherapy space. And I think like a, I think it's actually Terry Real who works in the um, relational relationship space. But I really resonated when I was was introduced to it because I really felt like it maybe had links to our, our profession or even healthcare as a whole, um, where it puts sort of, um, it's like it's called a relational grid. So at the top, it's got grandiosity, which is, you know, one up better than. Down the bottom is shame. So like one down, less than. Uh, on one side, it has boundaryless. And on the other side, it has walled up. And what it has in the middle is health. But how I was introduced to it is quite commonly in our society, we ping pong from grandiosity to shame. And for in shame, we then perhaps want to do something that then pings us back up into feeling better than, so up into grandiosity. And then the horizontal ones is we go from walled up to then maybe ping straight across to boundaryless. And maybe from there, an experience of boundarylessness, we then jump back over to walled up. And in doing this, we miss health in the middle. So I thought this was fascinating from a place of kind of looking at perhaps healthcare or physio or EP or how we want to, whichever one we want to bring in and, and kind of seeing how we have been maybe shaped to be in a one-up position with patients and what that brings with it and, you know, needing to know being the experts um, putting on a mask, um, you know, having to be in control, direct, create exercises, um, you know, all of this that, that we know kind of comes within to the therapeutic relationship in our field. But then I'm curious then around, I suppose, then, you know, moving into shame or where does shame live and kind of how we're talking about kind of pushing it down, you know, what that one, one down position feels like for us as practitioners who are perhaps more shaped by university and shaped by dominant narratives around being a more in a grandiose one-up position. So I'm really curious around that. And then I'm curious around this piece around, um, I suppose, vulnerability that's coming out a little bit more into, into our sort of um, vernacular, if you like, and 
whether we're going to go from this walled up position of being kind of, um, you know, we don't, we don't enter into the intersubjective space. And then when we realise what well, we do, do we then jump all the way and go over to boundaryless? Um, so I just, I kind of enjoy that framing to kind of give me a bit of a sense of perhaps where we might be as a, as a, um, as a collective or a group. Uh, I'm curious to see how that sort of lands with you guys. Well, I've just drawn it and I know that <laughs> the, li the listeners can't um, see this. But it's if a lovely you, drawing. <laughs> thank you. But if you look at grandiosity at the top mm. and boundaryless and walled up in shame mm. as the access points, yep. and my as I was listening to you, Kit, if mm. we look at the grandiosity to walled up bit, so not even going through the middle, but just to the yeah, side. Yeah, being up in that quadrant. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like the expert position to me. Mm. Whereas the grandiosity and boundaryless feels like the power differential. And that's where the ethical, some ethical stuff can really mm -hmm. be. Yeah. Boundaryless to shame in the bottom quadrant is that I get a sense of that emotional overwhelm and that expressive emotional stuff mm. and then the shame to walled up is that sense of deep isolation deep you know that sense of there's nowhere to go with this nobody's going to listen to me and mm. I need to leave I, you know it could come down to I need to leave the profession or I need to you know avoid something so mm. I think it's a lovely framework and my, my curiosity is how to get into health mm. as, as a way of being with, our, with ourselves and the other people and the people we come as colleagues as well as um, people who seek our help. Given, yeah. given that there's no, we haven't been given a um, pathway to that or a, or a how to do manual for that, or you know, what does that even mean? Mm. What, what is a healthy relationship in clinical practice? What what does it look like, and what mm. does it feel like? So that's what what I like about this framework. Mm. How does it land with you, Daniel? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I can definitely resonate with the. Um, different sectors and how they can show up. I think um, the uh, ideas of boundaries are also never taught, at least in my undergraduate experience. Um, I guess we get the, you know, ethical practice and how to take notes and um, not get sued is what generally universities try to strive for. Um, but like the ins and outs of the, the clinical space and, and, dealing with our own emotions and that's um maybe where the the, the shame and the superiority kind of come in it, it's it, i guess you can go towards the superiority of um i am i just do what i do and i know exactly what to do and i um am above the the person and it's almost like then you're above your own emotions in a way you've got that sense um 
And then there's the, the other way where you could uh, perhaps not have the space to even uh, express it. And then how that is dealt in a clinical context might not be the most helpful for allowing that space to express, allowing that um, opportunity to have our colleagues sit with our own feelings. Um, so yeah, I think that it's not really role modeled. I think this, this idea of health and what that might look like in different uh, contexts. Yeah. Mm. I wonder even just the impact of, of naming a framework, not as a be all and end all, but like a, an experience to, you know, name or frame, whatever, however we want to describe it, but a sense of kind of even going, oh, where do I sit on this sometimes? Knowing that we don't exist in one quadrant, we're humans, that we're going to ex probably experience all variety in different contexts, but maybe being able to go, oh, you know, I was walled off and superior just a minute ago when I X, Y, Z, and kind of maybe just reflecting on that as, a, as an experience. Um, that sort of comes to mind as my first thought is, is around allowing the experience of the different quadrants to exist um, and perhaps normalising all of them. Yeah. I, I find myself feeling quite compassionate for the superior walled off parts of us. Mm. You know, um, I'm not seeing that as like an ugly all-knowing. I really feel like a sense of that must be really quite exhausting on some level and, and you know, performative, but in that way where it's like when, when can you put the performance down and have a rest? Um, yeah. 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 What touches me about what you've just said, Daniel and Kit, is where I go with it is back to that sense of of smallness, I think, of of feeling small and uncertain. And and almost um almost childlike in a way, but emotionally childlike um, in feeling like I need the, the framework because that's supportive, that gives me the languaging for it. And at the same time, I need the experience of support to even be aware of being okay to say, while I'm sitting with you right now, I can feel my walled offness coming forward, or I can feel my boundarylessness coming forward in this moment. And, and how, how am I sitting with that, knowing that I have to stay present with you? And at the same time, I feel myself doing, I actually would like to, um, you know, go somewhere else with this because it's just a little bit too much for me right now. And yet I know I have to be an adult with you and stay present with you and stay in contact and do the, you know, all the right things. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I'm having this completely other experience. Mm. And in some ways, I imagine the person in front of me is having a very similar I have to be this compliant person with this physio or EP or whoever and do the right thing and say the right thing so that they are there for me. And yet I'm having this completely other experience. And um, 
What I like about the framework is that it gives both people a shared song sheet to talk from, to go, I'm having this experience in this experience. So in this context of coming and seeing you, I am doing this and this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can see the the importance of having a framework. Well, I suppose and what comes to mind then is is a real need for us health professionals, if the patients can, you know, name it with us, which is healthy, you know, where's our where's our space to name it for us? Because, you know, we've chatted a little bit about this before, about it needing to be in service of the client. So, you know, the, the clinical room is not the place really for us to explore our shame. We can notice it <laughs> and be with it and, 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 you know, give it some space. And then we need some places to go take it and explore it and have it, you know, we know what we know about shame is it needs to be witnessed by a non-judgmental, compassionate place, person. So, you know, I suppose that's another one of my queries, concerns around stepping into this more relational approach and, and kind of holding that jump from walled up to boundarylessness is health to me is finding places, cultivating places where these sorts of things can be explored and not just as an add-on, but as a deep foundational fundamental need for our development as, as being people who do sit with and meet the other. Yeah. Beautiful. And to me, that's a, that's a whole gestalt in my terminology. That's a whole thing in itself is in psychotherapy world, it's take it to therapy or take it to supervision. And mm. so there's an inbuilt system already operating to go, okay. And even then, you know, there are sometimes you don't want to take it to therapy or take it to supervision. You want to just be able to say to somebody, you know, I, I found that really difficult in that moment to be with the other person as my, you know, wobbliness showed up or my walled offness showed up or my wanting to be the fixer and the saver and the the hero of the moment. And I feel my stepping back and going, well, where is it? (laughs) Where is this place? Mm. Where is it being done well? Where is it being done at all? And what would it look like for EPs and physios and other health professionals to do this? Maybe Mm. not from a psychotherapeutic realm, but from our realm, from our allied, allied health realm, what would that look like and what would it feel like? Mm. yeah yeah so, can definitely um relate when uh i've been attending courses and conferences with psychotherapists and psychologists and counselors and even social workers and then hearing the terms of supervision come up and i'm like oh yeah i can just tell my colleague to just take it to supervision and then realizing number one the, the privilege that i have of accessing supervision and um, the the lack of that space um, and maybe that's a it's a way for for us to start this conversation and to um, normalize the need for having that space and having a compassionate uh, opportunity to express what is uh, 
coming up for us, what is showing up as the human, as on the surface level, we, we uh, have expertise and we have um, expertise and shame. We have boundaries and we ha- don't have boundaries and we are dancing around the, the quadrant. I think um, mm. that, that's, what, that's what shows up for me and I, and I appreciate the, the framework as a starting point to name and acknowledge that. Mm. Beautiful. And, you know, just to come full circle in a way, you can't do this on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in connection. So intersubjectivity is subjectivity in relationship to, and it's in relationship to another subjectivity. So it's it's about connecting um self with other or self with self or self with the external world or self with time self with space so it's always in relationship to something and the relational approach in the encounter is my subjectivity in relation to the other person's subjectivity so it's always in connection with something the intentionality is directed towards something, some change and shift. And I get excited listening to both of you. I think, I think it's like, ah, this is, this feels really good to to hear your your clarity and your um, the depth of of um, your sense of this place, and also at the same time holding the the unformedness of it or the absence of it or or the yearning and desire for it. Yeah, so it's, it's my, kind of... My, uh, my solution-making voice is is uh, rising up now and thinking of all the possible solutions and this is also a reflection on a previous podcast where I was like, oh, I just need examples. But I, I think um, the... Uh, the the relational aspect is is the thing that comes up that it's not a it's not a takeaway it's not a one kind of point of action unfortunately it's a it's more embedded and, and complex and maybe having um conversations i think is a starting point because there is that relationship already within a conversation uh, and i'm very mindful and respecting time if there was for i'm just thinking now the bringing the listeners in um, at least my perception of the listeners right now um, who are open to and very much looking for some sources, some, some help, some direction. Um, and I would, again, uh, guide them to the first podcast that we had and also would love to hear any sources that you both would recommend for listeners. What I have as a foundation for me is any work on therapeutic presence. Yeah, as a first step, really, that sense of of my presence and what does it mean to cultivate presence and what does presence actually mean and what does it mean for me as far as how it shows up how I do that, what my intentionality behind presence is. Because you you cannot stay present 
100% all the time. And in some ways, there's a, a tracking and an attunement that goes with presence. So presence can morph into a whole bunch of different things. And the people that I um, have as my foundation text is um, Gala and Greenberg, who have written a lot about therapeutic presence. Um, and so that's, and because of my gestalt psychotherapeutic work, there's a lot of um, uh, huge, huge libraries of resources around presence. So that's, I would just encourage and invite people to go look in that way, in that place first, yeah. I'm thinking how I could marry something to that um, intellectual exploration into the literature, maybe with some sort of um, just experiential noticing of self. Um, I think, you know, combining both knowledge in that way with self-knowledge feels like the pathway forward continually is, is you know, using both of them to, to learn and grow and expand. So I think I would encourage people to um, turn inside and, and kind of notice what might be going on for you in, in some clinical encounters or at home or with family or anywhere, but just kind of a, maybe getting a sense of what it feels like to notice, maybe use that framework a little bit or, you know, what does that feel like? What does walled up feel like for you? What does boundaryless feel like? And without judging these terms, kind of just using them as a little bit of um, a frame or something to differentiate or guide or create a bit of a container around, um, you know, and I think then what comes up for me when I first started doing this, I felt quite a lot of shame and judgment around what I would think was my boundaryless behaviour. So I perhaps encourage people to then, you know, notice what comes up when you pop yourself in one of the quadrants. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that in, Kit, because that. I think that's the key. Um, mm. The only other thing I was going to say is that all three of us will never be the same again after this conversation. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that true. is very cool. Very, very cool. <laughs> yeah. The beauty yeah. of yeah. imagined organic conversation. So, yeah. Thank you so you? much, Daniel. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity to bring this into a different space. Absolutely. And it's a fun, exciting, nerve wracking, uh, <laughs> enlightening experience each and every time. So for both of you, I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing. I know that you've both role modeled a lot for not only my perception of the audience right now, but also <laughs> myself. So really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Kit. Thanks, Thank Daniel. You. Bye, everybody. <laughs>